progress came and took its toll and in the name of flood control they made their plans and they drained the land now the glades are going dry and the last time i walked in the swamp i sat up on a cypress stump i listened close and i heard the ghost of osceola cry The opinions expressed on Tomahawk Talk do not reflect that of WVFS Tallahassee. From the highest point on Florida State's campus and the hottest room in Seminole sports, this is Tomahawk Talk. I'm your host, Brett Rutherford, and we are live on 89.7 FM WVFS Tallahassee, the voice of Florida State. I'm joined tonight by my co-host, Gary Putnick, and our panelists, Lex Tucker and Alex Krutchik. Yesterday uh, still feels so surreal. Uh, Early in the afternoon... The world learned of the passing of NBA legend and future Hall of Famer Kobe Bryant. Kobe, just 41 years old, was with his 13-year-old daughter Gianna and seven others who all died in a tragic helicopter crash in the Los Angeles area on the way to a travel basketball event. I I first heard the news while I was covering the the Florida State women's basketball game yesterday. And to, to watch his word quickly spread around the Civic Center it sent chills down down my spine. Uh, utter shock and, and disbelief is is the only uh, way to really describe it. Looking out onto the court, seeing all those players who saw Kobe as not only a basketball legend, but a torchbearer for women's basketball, who knew about his relationship with his daughter Gianna and their bond over the game, with no idea in that moment of, of what had happened, rattled me to my core. It's a feeling, a moment, and a day that I'll, that I'll never forget. But, but more than anything, that's who Kobe Bryant was as a person. He made us feel things. He truly was bigger than the game of basketball. Sports means a lot of things to a lot of different people. But I know for sure that Kobe Bryant is the sole purpose for many to love the game of basketball. I know he was at the center of relationships between parent and child, who would sit side by side and watch him do incredible things on the court. He was a bringer of joy to so many. So I do want to take this part of the show to reflect on the life and legend of Kobe Bryant and all the moments he left us in, in awe. Gary, this is, this is a tough show. I mean, Kobe was important to us, not only our generation, but so many people around the world and... Like I said, I really was in disbelief when I when I heard this news, and I immediately started to think back at some of the memories uh, I had watching Kobe Bryant as a young basketball fan, and I'm sure you had some similar experiences. Yeah, I had a few experiences watching Kobe, especially in the, his later title runs in his career. Those were some of the, the ones that stood out for me. But the one thing that just kept standing out every time I kept coming back to the story or kept watching it on TV was him was him and his daughter like that yeah the fact that they, their families now torn apart and Vanessa and his three was it three other daughters now have to go on without their sister and father it's unbelievable to think about and it's heartbreaking and, and we had seen Gianna so much in the public eye um, with with Kobe at basketball games there had been social media posts about her her team and everything that that went on. Um, with her, with her young basketball career, um, 
Alex, you know, what was going through your mind when, when you first heard this? Well, I was at the women's basketball game with you, and yeah. it, the media table was all silent. We, we all pretty much found out around the same time because all, all of our eyes are glued to Twitter during the game anyway. Yeah. And there was one point where I didn't look up from my computer for about 20 minutes during the game because I forgot that we were at a basketball game. I was just glued, yeah. trying to find secondary sources, trying to figure out, is this real or not? Because it, it doesn't feel real. It can't be real. Yeah, we, we were both running Twitter accounts for, for two different organizations. Um, and, and I think you and I could both say that our our tweets uh, lost a little bit of their their luster there. I mean, it, it was it was shocking. It was it was just unbelievable. And, and we, we both got to see kind of looking out into the crowd, everyone else finding out at the same time. And it was it, it was eerie, very eerie, to say the least. Uh, Lex, honestly, I was um, I, I didn't find out till later in the day, but uh, I mean, you'd be hard pressed to find someone who doesn't know the name Kobe Bryant as a legend in the sport of NBA, and um, it just uh, when someone told me, I mean, you just freeze at the thought of that, um, just taken too soon, and my heart goes out to the uh, Kobe Bryant family and all those that are affected by this. Yeah, and, and, and uh, now now joining us uh, on, on the show is a former uh, former co-host of Tomahawk Talk and V89 chief reporter who lives out in Los Angeles, and I'm sure this is probably impacting him more more than than some of us um, here in Florida. Chris Camacho, you there, Chris? Yeah, I'm here. And Chris, wh- wh- where were you when you heard this? And in, in and more so, what did Kobe, his career, mean mean to you as a basketball fan? Guys, this is a this is this is a tough one. Uh, I was I was in church, and I usually have a rule for myself, you know, don't check your phone during mass. But I could hear my phone going off. Uh, I figured it was just a group chat. But as soon as I as soon as I got out of church, I checked my phone, and it's just it. You know, I heard you guys talking about it too, and it, it's it's one of those you kind of like do a double take on your phone like did i just read that correctly it's it's guys the, the city of los angeles is, is in mourning um I, I i took the train into downtown to go to staples center um and all you saw on the train were a lot of a lot of puffy eyes a lot of red um chiefs just it's a tough one kobe meant a lot to the city um he meant as you mentioned to, he meant a lot to me as a as a Lakers fan, um, you know he's he's a guy. Obviously, the Lakers have, are a storied franchise, and they have a history of success. Um, and he was a big part of you know the most recent. Part, you know, we didn't get to see Magic, we didn't get to see Kareem, uh, but we got to see Kobe. And and mm. you know it's it's a shame that we won't get to see uh, what he was going to do with the rest of his career. Yeah, Chris, is there is there one moment in particular growing up in Los Angeles that really epitomized what Kobe Bryant meant to this, that city in, in the game of basketball? Man, after after twenty years, you know there there are a lot of moments that that you know I could pick out. Obviously, I didn't get to see a lot of his earlier stuff, but the moment that I can think of, um, and it's funny because on on the ride into downtown yesterday, I was listening to a podcast because I really I couldn't listen to music couldn't listen to anything else i just i kind of just wanted to hear his voice and heard him on a podcast talking about the championship i think it was 2010 against the celtics um they had just gotten beaten at the garden they're on their way back uh they're on the plane and kobe just starts laughing and you know the whole team is Mm. bewildered looking at him thinking what I've, i've i've missed the funny part what is so funny about us being down three to two in the nba finals (laughs) And Kobe just goes, man, if, if you told me we just had to go home, or we have to go home, win two games on our home turf to be NBA champions, I'd take that any day of the week. Um, and just, you know, that, I, I was talking to somebody yesterday, and that is L.A. personified. Kobe yeah. was just Los Angeles personified because there is no quit. There is no end to the grind. You know, you, you persist through the hardships so what you're down three to two in the nba finals it, it's uh, you don't tell me the odds right that's what that's what han solo yep. said you just <laughs> um yeah so i would say that moment it's just even in the face of defeat there is no quit well well chris thank thank you for coming on and, and sharing some of those those personal stories i mean he, he was an icon for for everyone 
in our generation. And uh, just, yeah, yeah, thank you for coming on and providing some, some of your insight. Absolutely. Thank you for having me on, guys. Have a good one. I'll talk to you later, Chris. Yeah, and another thing we we need to mention is is the NBA. Uh, there were some rumors that they had decided to to postpone their games on on Sunday. Um, after the news broke, one of the games had, had was within I think an hour of tipping off. I think the Rockets game, and so that kind of created you know obviously you you don't want to be entrenched in debate on a day like yesterday, but a lot of people going back and forth. On, on how to handle that situation because there were supposed to be games all throughout the day and, and they ended up playing all of them. Um, and, and many of them, if not all of them, there was some sort of, I mean, there was a tribute to Kobe before the game, moment of silence, but a lot of the teams, if not all the teams, I didn't get to see all the games, um, decided to run out the 24-second shot clock in honor of his jersey number. It was either that or some teams would do the eight-second yeah. backcourt violation. Okay. So both, obviously, so Kobe for, Bryant's yeah. numbers. Which I thought was... was uh, was was touching to say the least, but but Gary, should those games have happened yesterday? It's a tough debate because you could yes, those games could have happened, and it's honoring Kobe in the way that many think that he would have wanted to be remembered by playing the game and bringing joy to people in the game that gave him so much joy and so much, so many great things in his life. But also no, because there's a lot of players who really were hurting when this news broke. I know. Was it Kyrie Irving didn't even play in his game yesterday? A lot yeah. of players were seen crying on the sidelines, getting very emotional, understandably so. And so I think it's two sides of every coin, but I'm fine with how they did it. They, the teams handled it the best way that they could, but ultimately it would have been just as fine as if they canceled the games. That was my thing. When I saw players on the sideline or pre-game or post-game in college and in, in, in the pros finding out about this in real time just like we did and then you know a, a person that many of them considered a close friend or a teammate or a competitor and to, to have them have to go out and then do their job I could not imagine uh, what that's like I can't fathom what was going through their head um, and in in many of the or some of the players had talked to him as early as this past weekend. I know it was reported that Kobe and LeBron James shared a phone call um, just moments after or after the game ended, in which LeBron passed Kobe on the uh, third all time in the NBA scoring list. And um, so so it I could only imagine it's so tough. We have learned that there is one game postponed. That is the, uh, the the Clippers and Lakers game, which was scheduled for tomorrow night at 10 o'clock Eastern time. Um, it was going to be nationally televised on TNT. Um, and, and I think the Lakers requested to have that postponed. So Yeah, that it, that's understandable. Uh, understandable. I saw ticket prices starting to rise, but obviously those don't matter right now. But I was we were all kind of just waiting on the moment that they were going to cancel that game. I think it was eminent, and I think they did the right thing. Yeah, and then... Uh, now, now joining the show is, is is another uh, former, you know, Florida State alum, Blake Devine, who is a former sports editor at FSView, and is now a video journalist at KEYT in Santa Barbara, California. So, you know, someone who else who is really close to this this story and this situation, Blake, what was kind of going through your mind yesterday when uh, you heard this news? You know, it was a real shock to the entire world, and especially hit hard. In- Southern California, which is where I am right now, and Santa Barbara. And I just remember initially the first thing I heard was a report by TMZ. And as we've seen over the years, TMZ can sometimes publish reports that can be falsely published without much verification. So when I first saw it on TMZ, I was very hesitant. And it kind of reminded me of the story about Morgan Freeman passing away a few years ago. Didn't believe it. And then once more and more stories started piling up, I started to kind of realize that, wow, this was actually happening, and Kobe Bryant had tragically passed away, and with all the false reports with who was with him, whether it was his whole family or whether it was one daughter and other families, I mean, just overall, a very sad day for sports and the world as a whole, but especially here in Southern California, there's a lot of very sad fans walking around wearing Lakers and mostly Kobe jerseys to kind of show their appreciation for one of the all-time great players in sports. Yeah, and you mentioned the the fact that TMZ was the uh, 
the outlet that first broke in in, in my myself and I think a lot of people were, were in disbelief that like, oh this this is a hoax this has to be fake and and when it started to come out that it was you know confirmed and you, you're sitting there in disbelief and it's something that uh, it's hard to to process mentally but Blake uh, in terms of the reaction out there in in California what's it, what's it been like how how are people memorializing uh, Kobe Bryant. So yesterday I was actually, um, I headed to Newberry Park and uh, went to the Mamba Academy, which is where he was hosting that basketball tournament, where he was going to arrive in the helicopter before the tragedy ensued. And it was just quite the scene. I mean, you had so many people um, kind of just huddled around the entrance. They sent out an email to all the parents and kids. The tournament was canceled, that all operations in the Mamba Academy were currently under a pause at this moment with no notice of when it will be reopened. But so many people are outside of it, paying their respects, leaving certain memorabilia and other flowers in purple and gold, obviously, for the Lakers. But overall, just a lot of very shocked people and a lot of sadness, um, overarching theme. And people just, they had said they had seen him the day before on Saturday at the tournament, and um, he had been just a very active part of the community here in Southern California throughout the Central Coast after he retired in 2016, and he'd just become a bigger-than-life personality here in Southern California and had been such a prominent person and face here um, with his community outreach and with his support of women's basketball of recent times as yeah. well. No, I mean, yeah, he, his his reach was, you know, was was still growing, even after he he retired from the NBA. And and, and Blake, Blake, thank you for for coming on and, and sharing your insight. I know this must have been a, a an eerie, a, a chilling day for, for for you covering that. But but thank you for coming on the sh- the show tonight and providing some of your insight. Absolutely, and uh, thank you guys for having me on. And just wanted to give a shout out to the Knowles basketball team. For, yes. Uh, Outing in at number five once again. We're going to be talking a lot of Knowles basketball later on in this show, so so thank you for for that, Blake. And I do want to touch a little bit more on uh, the the fact that that Kobe was a coach for a youth girls basketball team, and he had kind of shifted a lot of his focus towards growing the women's games so much so that when and Alex, you and I were both covering that women's basketball game yesterday, and when Kaya Gillespie was asked what Kobe Bryant meant to her. She immediately stated that one of her goals was so for Florida State to make the Final Four, which Kobe Bryant is usually in attendance, so that she could meet Kobe Bryant. And it, it kind of shows that I mean, he had such a, a large impact on, on, on so many people. Can, can you speak to that? He did, and, and that's the crazy thing about all this. And I don't know if you guys saw, but actually uh, the UConn women's basketball team gave tribute. They um, have a number two Bryant jersey on their bench. Tonight, I don't know if they have a game or if they just posted it just for the picture with uh, flowers on top of it saying uh, something for the Mambasita. It's yeah. one of those things where it's it's not even just the NBA. It's the WNBA. It's women's college basketball. I know uh, Sabrina Ionescu, who's a very, very good women's player over in Oregon. She was playing in a game yesterday that tipped off like... I think just an hour after the news broke. She was. I saw the post game press con or the post game interview with her on ESPN, and she was. It was tough for her. I could imagine. I can't imagine what she was going through because I think she mentioned that she had a personal relationship with Kobe. Like her and him and her went back and forth and talked every now and then about uh, just basketball in general. So that's one. Of, those are one of the people in the women's game that's probably going to feel the most of this. Exactly, and I'm I'm hoping that even though Kobe's gone and Gianna's gone, there's somebody, there's going to be some type of momentum because a lot of people right now are talking about women's basketball mm-hmm. um, yep. just because of how much he meant. Hopefully there's some type of momentum that can carry forward and, and grow the women's game more. Yeah, touching on that, that UConn, yeah, I mean, uh, Gianna Bryant, who, who also passed away in, in the helicopter crash, it was her dream to, to play not only in the WNBA but for that UConn women's basketball team which we have known to to be such a powerhouse, and I think that only speaks to uh, the the um, influence that her father had on her as a competitor, as an athlete. She she was really at this point in her life, at such a young age, reaching for for the stars. Um, and when when the news broke that that she was involved in in this accident, um, it, it was it it, it was gut wrenching. 
Um, it was hard to process and, and, and just devastating news. And, and I hope we continue to honor the lives of, of Kobe, Gianna, and, and everyone else who, who lost their life in that accident yesterday um, because it's, it's, it, was, it was truly, truly tragic and, and hard to process. Um, did mention, though, Florida State women's basketball, and, and they did play yesterday, and I think uh, it would only be right if we, we continue the show talking basketball, talking women's basketball. Florida State pulled off another big uh, conference win over the in-state rivals Miami Hurricanes, 79-61. to Kylie Gillespie picking up another double-double, 18 points and 10 rebounds. Nikki Akamu led the Knowles in scoring with 19 points. Nasir Wolfolk picks up 15, even though it looked like she picked up a real nasty injury early on in that game in the first quarter. Wasn't it the first quarter? Yeah, it was with uh, five minutes left in the first. She could not put any weight on her on her right leg, and I'm like, well, she might be out for the season. And and then all of a sudden, she's back in later in the game, goes five for ten from the field, uh, four for six in the free throw line, picks up five rebounds, five assists, and ultimately 15 points, a huge part in the Knowles. Victory Valencia Myers, seven points off the bench. Sammy Puisis uh, sinks two threes off the bench. She's been known to do that for a while and, and although it, it was hard to concentrate on this game because the news broke during the game um kai gillespie picks up an, another double double in in this win in front of the biggest crowd of the season alex talk to me a little bit about kaya and, and what she's brought to this team what she's brought to this program kaya's been just one of the all around not just a scoring threat but just all around a double double machine it seems like every time you look up, she has a double-double for every single game. And just to have that that presence, knowing that night in and night out, that you're going to get production out of her, you know, it's nice to have a bunch of people that can contribute for you, and they do have that. Um, but but knowing that she's going to be there pretty much every night is so important. Yeah, and, and it is, along with her, Nikki Akamu, who just was shooting the lights out, 5 for 11, 2 for, two for 5 from the 3, 7 for 8 for the 3 throw line. And Florida State shot 77.4%. From the charity stripe yesterday, a huge part in that win. Um, this team is is so well rounded when they have their best five players on the court. When they've got those starters out there, how valuable is it to have three major scoring options in Gillespie, Akamu, and Wolfolk? It's huge for this team, especially getting down to the later half of the season. Especially when it gets around tournament time, you're going to need at least two of those players to step up every game. And if you can have a third you're in great position to make a deep run and do well in the tournament. So if they can keep this consistency, consistency, consistency up and then add in a little bit of the bench, it's going to be a solid run. In, in talking about the bench, I want to mention River Baldwin, a true freshman out of Alabama, was from McDonald's All-American last year. She's appeared in all 20 games for the Knowles, has not started a single one, still averaging 7.2 points per game and, and 4.3 rebounds. And it's, it makes me really excited to see the type of player that I think she can develop into while at Florida State. Alex, what have you seen from, from, from Baldwin so far? I think she's great. I think she's still a very raw player who's going to have a couple hiccups here and there in games that she plays. But outside of that big three that we were talking about before of Gillespie, Wolfolk, and Komu, she has the most points averaged with a 7.2 per game. She's, she's so fun to watch because you know that as good as she's playing right now, she's only a freshman. Yeah, no, exactly, and, and and Sammy Puisis as well coming off the bench um, and, and shooting the three ball well for the Knowles. She's averaging 5.4 points per game and is shooting uh, 42% from three, um, the best percentage out of any any of the Knowles. In uh, Lex, I know you've taken a look at the schedule ahead for Florida State. Mm-hmm. They are currently 6-3 um, and three in the conference, which is three games back of the first place Louisville Cardinals, who are 9-0 and in conference play oh, yeah. and 20-1 overall in the season. What's ahead for Florida State, and, and what do they need to do to keep keep winning in the conference? Before they have to go against Louisville, they got, they're going to have to go through um, Boston College and Pitt, and it really doesn't get any easier than this for them uh, for a three-game stretch. we got Boston College 9-10 and 10 right now, kind of halfway in the ACC. But you got Pitt at Pitt. They're both away games, and uh, they're currently riding a 12-game losing streak. Uh, wow. Last place in the ACC, so... They're definitely not going to have the stiffest competition, but uh, if they keep the consistency up like they did against Miami, it should not be an issue. But the big game coming up, like you mentioned, is the sixth with the matchup against the number one team in the ACC, Louisville Cardinals, who are on the other side of Pitt on a 12-game winning streak, and they're set wow. at 20-1. They haven't they have not lost one ACC 
see game yet. Yeah, you look at the last few years, Louisville, in terms of women's basketball, always up there in contention for some trophies. Yeah, Florida State, you know, they've, they've got to get past Pitt. There are no easy wins in any conference. Um, in, in Miami, they handled, they did the, they did the job, they got the business done. Um, Pitt would be next, and, and obviously that Louisville game is looming. I've talked to Coach Sue before. She says she only looks at uh, the next game on the schedule. I have a hard time believing her. I mean, I think any coach is going to look ahead and be like, see the Cardinals on that schedule and be like, ooh, we got to prepare for that one. Um, but, but yeah, it, the women's basketball team, they, off to the best start in program history they were. Then they stumbled a little bit. They lost at Syracuse. They lost to NC State, and they tr- they dropped one other game. I think they had a six game stretch where they went three and three. Yeah, so, so it was a tough w- tough run right there. But they've started to right the ship. So how important it was to to win that game against Miami yesterday so convincingly? And talking a little bit about this team overall and what they can do for the rest of this season. For the most part, they're fully healthy. And last year, they were nowhere near healthy for any part of the season. Uh, Kai Gillespie spoke about the fact that they have not only Courtney Weber that can play a true five, but now River Baldwin, more um, opportunities to score in the post. Um, Kaya can spread the ball out a little bit more. There's more scoring options. There's just more versatility from this team, and I think that's ultimately going to be what pushes them further this season than we have seen the last couple of years. Uh, hopefully they get to they get to host some, some NCAA tournament again. That would be... That would be fun to watch. Yeah, that would be nice. They just need to make a little late season push there to yeah. get back in that kind of in that territory. It, it's it's going to be tough, but uh, Notre Dame has taken a, a step back. We, they were in the national title game last year, wasn't it? Was it last year? Did they win? Yeah, the national last title? year, two years ago. They yeah, they they always have a pretty decent ball club up there with Muffet McGraw yep. uh, at the helm. They're seven and thirteen overall, two and six in the conference. So they're looking like they're not going to make the NCAA tournament unless something drastically changes um, up up in South Bend. Before we head to break, I do want to uh, talk a little bit about Zion Williamson, who he hated for so long to make his NBA debut. He picked up uh, an injury in the preseason. He was the number one overall pick selected by the New Orleans Pelicans, and he finally made that NBA debut uh, last week. And for most of that game, the first three quarters, he was playing in four or five-minute spurts. He wasn't doing much. Some said that he looked slow or out of shape. Uh, And then in the fourth quarter... Really, really pops off. He ended up with 22 points. He made it was four for four from three. I don't know how many rebounds he ended up with, but for about a three to four minute stretch in the fourth quarter, he was lighting it up for the Pelicans against the Spurs. And Elvin Gentry still decided to pull him out of the game. We're guessing he was on some sort of minutes restriction. Uh, the Pelicans ended up to go on uh, to lose that game. But Gary, what was it like to finally see Zion Williamson in on the NBA stage? And now we've seen him for a few games. Well, it's fun watching him for the first for the first half or so, but sadly I went to bed before Yikes. he started to go off in the second Yikes. half there against the and the later half of that opening game of his career, but I've been watching a little bit since then. He's had two more games after the fact. I watched a little bit of the Celtics game, and he's looking good. Like He's moving well with the ball. Even his passing has been there, too. He's willing to dish the ball out when he's not getting the right look down low. And there was a play last night against the Celtics where he took a uh, jump step, went up, put up a shot, missed then came right back up got the rebound and put and for a putback and that just shows you that kind of athleticism the kind of power he has being such a big body like him yeah and and he's after only four minutes he played in the first quarter of that first game and mark jackson was on the call the game was on espn and he's like oh zion is he's just out of shape and i was like come on he's played four minutes yeah he's played four minutes like give it a break like yeah, he's probably a little bit out of shape. He hasn't played in the he's NBA. He's also the third heaviest player in NBA but, but right it, now. <laughs> it was just it was such like low hanging fruit for like a commentator or an analyst to go. Oh, he's fat. He can't do it. He did. He only he didn't score in his first four minutes in the league. He, d- it was he does lazy. not. Tell you what, he does not move like he's the third heaviest player in the NBA. Oh, no, and you've watched that now. You all you had to do was watch the rest of that game. He was four minutes into his NBA career. Mark Jackson was already calling him out of shape <laughs> and, and practically fat. I mean, it was ju- it was lazy. It, it ticked me off if you can't tell. It's ironic that you're calling him lazy. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. No, but it's really what it was, and it's it is it, it was a bit ridiculous. Um, Zion has played a couple more games. He had a, his first double double the other night, mm-hmm. um, so definitely you know, he might be in the running for rookie of the year already. I know John Morant would probably have something. That's, that's going to be a tough one to give that. him rookie of the year, considering we're already about halfway yeah. through this year. Yeah, and we're also halfway through the hour, so we're going to take a quick break. On the other side, we'll talk men's basketball and preview Super Bowl 54, which is this Sunday, between the Kansas City Chiefs 
and the San Francisco Giants. Tyler Phillips will have tonight's Seminole segment. You are listening to WVFS Tallahassee, the voice of Florida State. He's the best player in the game. It's just that simple. There's nothing that Kobe Bryant can't do. He will defend your best player. He will shoot from the perimeter. He will get all in your mug. He will do whatever it takes. He is the most complete basketball player in the game today. Bar none. He has an assassin's mentality. I said this week, I said this when the trade went down, and I'll repeat it again. Who's starving more for an NBA World Championship more than Kobe Bryant? There is no one. This guy is highly motivated. What separates Kobe from the pack? From the pack. More than Kobe Bryant. Bryant. There, is, there no is no one. Is no one. Okay. Kobe doing work. Two for on my shirt. He the greatest on the court, and I'm the greatest on the verse. Going for the fourth ring like it was his first. This is Tyler Phillips with your Seminole segment. The 21st-ranked Knowles uh, men's tennis team traveled to Austin, Texas this past weekend, where they took on the number one-ranked Longhorns. The Knowles suffered their first loss of the season by the score of 4-0 at the Texas Tennis Center. The Knowles started the match down 1-0 after losing the doubles points to Texas. The Longhorns continued their momentum from the singles as they took four out of the six first sets and doubles from the Knowles. The Seminoles were defeated on court five, six to four, and six to two to close out the match, putting the final nail in the coffin for the then six and zero Seminoles. Florida State looks to rebound against Florida on February first at the United States Tennis National Campus. In other Seminole news, the 14th-ranked Florida State women's basketball team walloped in-state rival Miami by a final score 79 to 61. The win marks the eighth time in program history that the women have won their first 17 of their 21st their 20 games led by redshirt senior forward kai gillespie's nine points and three rebounds in the first quarter florida state established the pace of the game early with an eight point lead the hurricanes came back to tie the score at 22 in the second quarter but the Knolls rallied to a 40 to 26 lead to end the half in the third quarter the Knolls never looked back leading the game by double digits to the very end the Knowles won not only the game, but many statistical categories of the night. They led the Hurricanes in field goal percentage, rebounds, and three-pointers made. For the 11th time this season, the Knowles were led by three starting seniors, Nikki Akumu, Kai Gillespie, and Najia Wolfolk, with 19, 18, and 15 points, respectively. They also combined for 52 of the Seminoles' 79 points. Florida State plays host to Boston College on Thursday, January 7th at 7 p.m. at the Donald L. Tucker Center, where they look for their seventh conference win. That's all I've got for Seminole Segment. Back to you, Brett. Thank you for that, Tyler. We're going to go ahead and talk a little men's basketball uh, before we uh, start breaking down the Super Bowl. Uh, Pretty close game on Saturday, a game that I don't think many of us expected to be that close. The Knowles escape with a victory 85-84 over the Notre Dame Fighting Irish at home. I was actually able to attend as a fan, which is something I haven't been able to do as much as I would like uh, this season, and it's something that I'm probably not going to be able to do that much more often for the rest of this year. My last, my last year as a student at Florida State. Um, but, but Gary, you know, first thoughts on this game? It was very dicey towards the end. Yeah, and Notre Dame kind of snuck up on Florida State at the end in terms of the score. I, it felt like for a lot of that second half, that Florida State was going to run away with, or at least win comfortably by like. 11 or 12, something like that, but got close at the end. <laughs> Lex, were, were you nervous at all? Oh, absolutely. Uh, I mean, <laughs> the, the whole, entire first 15 minutes, um, all I'm thinking, I'm sorry, I should say 35 minutes, all I can think of is, is this team cannot stop scoring. 
and we are built for scoring. And uh, not, not a lot of teams could, would be able to stop us after seeing that. But uh, I guess we started breaking down. And we couldn't the last five minutes. We could not seem to make a shot. It seemed like they literally lined <laughs> the uh, the rim with some Crisco or something because. Uh, we 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 attempted many uh, shots. Let, let, me, let me interrupt you. It's not it's not like they couldn't seem to make a shot. They literally could not make a shot for the last five and a half minutes, minutes of the game. Could not could not make one single field goal. Alex. Yeah, just a quick stat. They were held without a field goal in the last five minutes and sixteen seconds. Yeah, but <laughs> the fact that that is still is true, and they still scored eighty four points in this game. Mm-hmm. Is or an eighty was it eighty five points? Eighty five yeah. points, courtesy of that eighteen nothing run out of nowhere. Well, eighteen nothing run and nineteen points off the back of Wyatt Wilkes <laughs> comes off the bench. How many threes did he make in this game? Four, five, six. I don't it know was, the exact number. It was incredible, and early he, he got five into the game. For six. He got into the six. game, and, and my buddy was sitting next to me, and says, "You know, I don't, I don't like he, he Wilkes has picked up minutes. He was like, I don't really know what he's going to do for the team here, and I was like, Yeah, you know, he's he's pretty slow." But you got to watch. He'll come up every now and then. If he gets in space, he will drain some shots. And this is before he made his first. And after every single shot, I just glanced over at my buddy and said, watch this kid go. Because I've heard, I don't remember, I saw a tweet from someone on the beat that was saying they attended a Florida State basketball practice and watched Wyatt Wilkes uh, take threes, take about 50 of them, and he sunk between 40 and 45 at a practice. Mm -hmm. So Wilkes, I think, understands his role on this team understands where he can provide and this was an opportunity for him to really show what he can do and I might be a little early in saying this but Wilkes might play a similar role at you know towards the end of this season and into the postseason that PJ Savoy played last year that's exactly what I was thinking that's the three-point specialist that will come in won't make every shot won't go five for six every single night but We'll give you two or three at the least, I would assume. In, in Savoy, with being the three-point specialist, didn't shoot the ball quite as well as yeah. Florida State fans were expecting. Mm-hmm. That kind of saw his role reduced. We had, I think he had started for some of the last two seasons and played a much larger role, and then he was kind of reduced to a, a, a three-point specialist. But, uh, yeah, not only was Wyatt Wilkes uh, in, incredible, uh, Trent Forrest found a way to pick up 13 points. He was seven for eight from the free-throw line. The team as a whole... 13 for 14 from the charity stripe, 93%. Lex, uh, how important are, you know, is, it, is shooting free throws to this team? For shooting three th- free throws for this team, I mean, it, it's our bread and butter. We like getting, we like drawing fouls, but we got to at least produce some sort of points out of it every time. And as you can see, points matter with it only being a one-point game, especially in the final minutes. Yeah, also nice to see Balsa Kobravica uh, come back from injury, get to mm-hmm. play in this game. I wasn't really sure what his injury status was. Part of me was starting to think that he was going to miss a good chunk, if not the the entire season. So to see him play in this game, pick up 13 minutes too. So it wasn't like it was a short cameo like Nathaniel Jack got. He played 13 minutes. He provided six points. Uh, did pick up three fouls in those 13 minutes. But but I guess we can cut him some slack on his first game back. Exactly. And speaking of another big man, Raekwon Gray. Yeah. He looked good in my opinion. Yeah. I know he, he had a few turnovers. The other yeah, night, I was harping on him before this Yeah, show. you were getting on him a little bit too much. I think you were being a bit critical. But he looked like he was getting back to that form. He really was playing that same kind of basketball he was playing against Florida to start off the season where he would be aggressive and attack the basket from beyond the arc and try and push in. And I, that's the way I like to see him play. He's not a guy who's going to post. Yeah. He can post up. He has a decent post move every now and then. But he's really good at running downhill and trying to just get a layup, and he's usually going to get that. And he put up 13 points on Saturday. Yeah, we, we yeah, we think we we want to see him be aggressive. That's kind of what he does. He was six for ten from the field, so also I also hit a three, one for one. Yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. he, he does have that three ball in his back pocket, mm-hmm. and I probably was a little too harsh. He he committed the one turnover the on the inbound there towards the end. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's, pro- that's probably what was sitting in my mind. Recency bias. Uh, yeah, definitely <laughs> some recency bias. Um, but yeah, overall, overall a good game from Raekwon. I'll mm-hmm. give him that. Also, Anthony Polite also played pretty darn well. Defense was a little bit obviously shaky early on around the whole team because I think that was, I think that was a lot because of the nerves and how this game was built up. Not because of Notre Dame and where they were coming in with, but Florida State playing their first game ever at home as a top five team. So I think everyone was getting a little bit antsy, and yeah. it kind of just crumbled a little bit, but they were able to settle down, relax, and figure it out, and then go on that big run. And, and real quick, before we move on to to talk about the Super Bowl this Sunday, 
I have to mention Mike Bray's post-game press conference Ooh. in which he, he went in, uh, complained about the referee, the officiating, then congratulated Florida State, said, and then praised them, said they're good enough to win it all. Uh, we agree on that, uh, Mike. Uh, and then stormed out. Um, but We're in the league, too. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> but, then, but he was making it seem like there like there were ACC basketball officials. That doesn't exist. There are no conference officials it's just college basketball. in college basketball. So you'd think he would know that. Maybe he was just caught up in the heat of the moment or he's, we just misunderstood. I think he's been watching to too much. I think he's been watching too much ACC football. We can, go, we can complain too much ACC football. Until the cows come <laughs> home about ACC football mm-hmm. officiating. We all know the, the, some of the issues there. But my favorite part of the uh, Mike Bray press conference was the screen grab that I got off of, uh, I think it was Zach Blostein of 24-7 Sports. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, he, t- he had video of the Bray press conference. <laughs> and as Bray was storming out, we got uh, Austin Reynolds, who was just <laughs> trying his hardest to stay composed and not bust out <laughs> laughing uh, Picture during, of the night. during the press conference. So Austin is running our Twitter tonight, so I am going to kind of, uh, not, not request, but demand that you... Uh, tweet out that picture from the Tomahawk talking. Tyler, tank. Tyler, do you have access to the Twitter? Someone log in and do it. Harry Austin is refusing. Tomahawk talk with the picture just now. Oh, uh, so perfect. okay, so, so you can retweet. You can re- we can retweet. I'll do it after the show if he you don't. Austin. It. We all know yeah. the password. <laughs> Austin Reynolds has reached meme status. I, I think we all have access to it in this room. It's like five to one against you, Austin. Yeah, we're yeah. it's no, it's, no. it's gonna get it's gonna happen. Blown up. Go I got like six <laughs> likes. I got like six <laughs> likes on that picture that I on that screen grab. Maybe more, which is a lot for me. I usually get one or two pity likes. <laughs> so, Austin, you have reached meme status. Congratulations on that. Florida State now 7-1 and one in the conference, a half game behind the Louisville Cardinals, who just have a game in hand. They're 8-1. and one. Florida State does hold the tiebreaker over Louisville. They will play them later on in the season at home. Uh, Florida State remains at number 5 in this week's AP poll, but this week, probably the toughest week of the season thus far in terms of what it means to the season. Obviously, those Thanksgiving tournaments can be taxing. But Florida State on the road in Charlottesville to play the Virginia Cavaliers and then over to Blacksburg for uh, to play the Virginia Tech Hokies. Uh, two uh, middle-of-the-pack ACC teams. Um, Virginia obviously came to Tallahassee and gave this team a real tough time, but they sit at 5-4 and four in the conference and 13-6 and six overall. They are still the defending national champions. Uh, Gary, does Florida State have to win both of these games to remain in, in contention for this ACC title, the regular season title, or could they get away with the split? Here. There's no room for error anymore with okay. this team. If they want to win the ACC regular season title, it's perf- you got to go perfect, and in my opinion. Real quick, what are you expecting out of this week? Expecting, I I would be fine with a loss because that's understandable. It's a two tough yeah. game stretch. It's a tough two game stretch away from home, and it's it's reasonable to expect a loss. I mean, Virginia is a good Virginia is a solid team at the end of the day. It's just not their best year, and they yeah. can play at home pretty darn well. And Virginia Tech's a sneaky team that can beat some pretty yeah. decent teams. Like, they've beat Michigan State already yeah. this year, who was number 14 at the time. And they're just Virginia Tech always just feels like one of those teams that will sneak up on you, and especially in their home stadium. I'll, I'll tell you one thing. Florida State committed 18 turnovers on uh, Saturday against Notre Dame, who was, I think, they weren't, they weren't even in the top 100 in adjusted defense on Ken Palm. If Florida State does that in Charlottesville against Virginia, Virginia doesn't it's need that help. Over. Their defense is already good enough. Mm, exactly. So I, w- I wouldn't be shocked if, if Florida State loses that one. I do think they have to win one on this road trip um, before coming home on Monday to play North Carolina, which Gary and I, you, you, instead of going to that game, you and I get to be here. Oh, yeah. Talking about that game <laughs> in real time. The best seat in the house. <laughs> oh, of course. Um, we'll have to find a way to stream it somewhere, maybe on that monitor. Um, but moving on. The Super Bowl, the the biggest game of the year for the National Football League, is this Sunday between the uh, AFC t- uh, champs, the Kansas City Chiefs, and the NFC champs, the San Francisco 49ers. Um, some of the storylines from this game, obviously the Chiefs have a fast, explosive offense led by former MVP Patrick Mahomes, and the 49ers have kind of emerged as this impre- impenetrable defense, um, not, not giving up many points um, later in the season. The Chiefs, both the Chiefs and the Niners, look like they could be set up to go on a bit of a run here. Um, young quarterbacks, uh, young, well, a young coach on one side, not so young on the other side. But both both franchises have kind of experienced a big breath of fresh air over the last couple of years. Gary, 
what is this game going to be? Is it going to be a make or break game when the Chiefs are on offense and the, the Niners are on defense? Is that what's going to be? What's going to control the outcome? Yeah, I really do think so. That's that's what everyone's going to build it up. It's going to be Nick Bosa, DeForest Buckner, and all that. Yeah, all those guys. Yeah. All those dudes Juan on Alexander, the, Richard Sherman. Exactly. The names just go on and on for them. And the same thing for the Chiefs offense. The names just go on and on. You got Tariq Hill, um, Damian was it, Damian Williams, Williams, Pat Mahomes, Travis Kelsey, it Sammy Watkins, who's even playing pretty darn pretty darn well. Like yeah, not no, the best, yeah. but still good. He's a solid option. But yeah, it's really gonna come down to those those two sides. And I I'm I'm definitely gonna add on to that one. Um I'm thinking Kansas City. I know Patrick Mahomes is going to be the the, the radar is going to be on him. All the eyes are going to be on him. Let's see if this offensive line can actually hold up for him to give yeah. him the time to give it to Kelsey to give it to Hill uh, to maybe make something happen because that's that's maybe going to be the only thing in this game. Okay, so we know it's Kyle Shanahan against Andy Reid. Mm-hmm. Kyle Shanahan, former Atlanta Falcons offensive coordinator, when they blew the infamous twenty-eight to three lead. Sorry, Austin. Uh, but what do we think he's learned from that experience? Because obviously his whole that philosophy in that game was pass the ball first and just forget about the run because they didn't do that and that's why they ended. That's ultimately one of the reasons why it happened. But how do we think he's going to make that adjustment this year? Well, I think we already kind of saw it. I mean, he was pressing the gas against Green Bay for championship weekend or was that the division game? Championship weekend. And he didn't stop. That was a blowout from the very beginning. And so it, it looks like, hopefully for their sake, he's already learned his lesson because they could have ran out the clock. They, they have a pretty good run game. They could have done that. And actually, they did do that, sorry. But they they, did. <laughs> they kept pouring it on instead of just letting up on the gas. Also, um, we're going to get to it later, but there is a prop somewhere. I'll have to look it up. Um, will Kyle Shanahan blow a 28-3 to lead? Mm. There is one. Is I'll have to look really? it up. It's got to be interesting. Austin's going to hammer no. <laughs> um, we... Gary, you mentioned some of the playmakers on on the Chiefs' offense, but the Niners have some dogs too. Raheem Mostert had one of the best playoff performances I've mm-hmm. ever seen in the NFC title game against Green Bay. Four rushing touchdowns, well over two hundred yards. But on top of them, on top of him, they've got George Kittle, who yep. might be might be the best tight end in, in the National Football League. And he barely caught a pass in the exactly. NFC Championship game. He loves blocking this guy i know everyone wants the travis kelsey the passing the receiving tight end pretty much but i love it when they block Kittle can do that too though oh no he can yeah he can do both that's why he's such a great tight end which is which is not necessarily what we've seen in Mm -hmm. in the recent uh this last decade was really the era of dominant tight ends we saw rob gronkowski travis kelsey zach Ertz, and now george kittle's up there too where there's just no way to match these guys up. There's no one on any defense mm-hmm. that can that can really cover these guys man to man. So the Niners, you know, although although we talked about them in terms of their defense, and we talk about Kansas City in terms of their offense, Kansas City's defense is going to have a real tough time stopping not only the Niners' run game, but when they've got guys like uh, George Kittle, Debo Samuel, and Debo Samuel mm-hmm. running downfield. EJ Man- or not EJ Man- I was about to say EJ <laughs> Manuel. EJ Manuel is going to come up <laughs> no, like yeah. quarterback for My the 49ers. <laughs> Man, that would, be, that would be something, wouldn't it? Um, yeah. In, it's it's going to be an interesting game. I think in terms of how good San Francisco can be on both sides of the ball, I'm, I don't know. I go back and forth because this Chiefs offense, it's, no one can seem to stop them. There's a reason why this game, the spread and the money line and betting this game is so close. It's currently minus one in favor of the Chiefs on the spread. And it's because no one can figure this out yet. Because yeah. they're so evenly matched. Grand, the Chiefs defense isn't as good as the Niners, in my opinion. But their offense, the Chiefs offense can put up a number. They yeah. can... They can flip like what we saw in the Texans game, what we saw in the Titans game in the playoffs. They can flip scripts like that, and it's not even funny. So it's going to be a real – I think this, this is one of the, the most exciting Super Bowls, I think, in a, or hyped up in a while. Yeah, because it's not even about you – know, a lot of the last Super Bowls over the last however They've many years. They've been good matchups. But a lot of them have been storyline-based and not necessarily football-based. It's been a lot of – Tom Brady based. And, and then Peyton Manning. And, and mm. some, I'll get to my Tom Brady stuff after because yeah. we've got some stuff here. <laughs> so you, you had a lot of games where you were really invested, you were really vested in the storylines and not necessarily 
the football in terms of the X's and O's and how these teams are going to match up. And two coaches who, you know, Shanahan obviously has has the, has the Super Bowl, which a lot of people, you know, see as a big red flag on his resume. Andy Reid has a, a bit of a track record for mismanaging the clock and mismanaging games in big-time situations. He's already um, been the head coach in a Super Bowl in which he lost with the Philadelphia Eagles. Yep. So... It, there, there are some storylines, but and in terms of like these two teams, these two different offensive minds, uh, kind of clashing in this Super Bowl. Yeah, you're right, Gary. It's it's something that I'm I was just going to say. About. It's interesting that you're saying that it's mainly focused on this game, and that we haven't really focused on the gameplay on the field. When Belichick has been one of those coaches on the sideline, who's one of the, who's probably one of the greatest coaches, if not the greatest coach in NFL history. So it's kind of interesting to see that now. And and I know. You know, like I said, it's it is about the football, and a lot of storylines have been about you know, will the uh, the Patriots continue their dynasty in this Super Bowl? Will they win another one, or will Peyton Manning win one before he retires? There is a little bit of that in this game. You you look at the I'm really talking about the Kansas City Chiefs. I know the Niners could be set up for a while as well. Uh, if, if they can really build around Pat Mahomes, who hasn't hit that big contract yet, he might be getting closer to that. They've got a couple years here where they can really make some, some great additions on either side of the ball. Alex, do you think that the Chiefs are set up for a dynastic run similar to, to maybe the Patriots? Of course I think that you can always make changes, but they've already made it to the Super Bowl pretty easily. I know they didn't have to go through New England, but I'm pretty sure if they had to, they would have beaten them this year anyway. I think they can improve on their defense, of course. Other than that, though, I think they're set up for the long run as long as Pat Mahomes stays healthy. Of course, which is a big if. We already saw him go down for a couple weeks this yeah. season. Um, one storyline, though, that will be interesting, and this is looking into the future, this could be the start of a dynasty. This could be uh, equivalent to watching Tom Brady's first Super Bowl. Yeah, no, definitely. And Lex? He's still such a young player. You know, Patrick Mahomes. Uh, we look at him. Already won an MVP. I mean, it, it's almost unbelievable. Uh, we already call him. We just kind of foresee him after his first couple of games last season, or even two seasons ago, he played the end of the season, just kind of came in. We knew he was special, and we knew that yeah. he was going to be maybe uh, one of those dynasty quarterbacks, the next one. I'll admit I did not have any uh, confidence that he was going to be a next one of the next elite quarterbacks. And now I'm kind of looking at him as the face of the National Football League going mm-hmm. forward, especially with some of these old guard quarterbacks you know, retiring or finding new you know, teams. Tom Brady might be retiring. Drew Brees Phillip Rivers. also. Phillip Rivers. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. The Chargers. Jay Glazer reported the Chargers are moving on from him. Ben Roethlisberger was injured. Aaron Rodgers is towards the back end of his career. I know they still made an NFC title game this year, but we're not really sure about what the future looks like in Green Bay. Pat Mahomes, with this Kansas City Chiefs fan base, who is just incredibly uh, large and, and passionate about their team, it's something that I'm, I'm really excited. I've got a lot of family in, the, in that area, a lot of family that are, that are Chiefs fans, so I know they're excited, and I, I'm excited to watch his career transpire in Kansas City. You guys are giving no attention to Jimmy G. <sighs> Jimmy Garoppolo, he's only four years old, older than Patrick Mahomes. Yes, he's a little bit older, but he has the tools and he has some intangibles, and he's had some teaching, most, most importantly, in his past that it can lead him to become another great quarterback. And this could honestly, I know we could say this could be a Chiefs dynasty, but it could be one of these back-and-forth Super Bowl rivalries that we yeah. keep seeing for a while now. Which I, which I don't mind. I know I'm perfectly get, fine with these like two you teams. You look at the NBA and you get tired of, like, mm-hmm. people say they get tired of the Warriors we'll get, and the Cavs. We'll get tired of it probably eventually. I but. won't, though. I like seeing that every year. The two best teams, Clemson and Alabama, yeah. started to have that. I like seeing two teams that are just... So well, great yeah. that every year they get there, mm-hmm. and, and those usually create the best games, the best environments, and the, and the best performances. So yeah, I'd I'd be, I'd be fine with that. I, I will admit, if Jimmy G had thrown more than eight passing attempts and had a bit of, of a more uh, statistically pleasing game in that NFC title game, I, I might be talking about him just hey. as much. There's recency bias. Yeah, there as I well. mean that just shows you what kind of what kind of team they have is that they can go wherever yeah. they want with the ball and kind of pick and choose their battles almost. So. And I don't think, and a lot of people threw, threw this around after the NFC title game that Jimmy G, Jimmy they, Garoppolo was they more calling of a, um, um, game manager. a game manager, which I think is true to an extent, but I also think Jimmy Garoppolo has the potential to be an elite quarterback in this league. I don't think he's there yet, but he has the tools. We've seen him make some really big plays, and he's going to have another opportunity here in the biggest game of his life, Super Bowl. I'm starting to turn on the phrase game manager. Like At first I was like, yeah, that's a good term, whatever, but it when you think about it, every quarterback is a game manager every <laughs> quarterback to has to manage his offense yeah. 
and his side of the ball. So they're, in essence, Patrick Mahomes is a game manager. Lamar Jackson's a game manager. Tom Brady's a game manager. Ryan Tannehill's a game manager. They're all game managers. It's definitely got a a negative connotation to it in terms of this quarterback can't make plays, but he's not going to turn the ball over. (laughs) He's not going to, you know, make stupid mistakes. Um, But I I, I think it means, to me, it means more to that and more than that. And Garoppolo definitely possesses those qualities. But he also possesses the qualities that are capable to, to win big games like he'll probably have to do in this Super Bowl um, no doubt that the Chiefs are going to try to focus in on that running game, trying to stop Raheem Mostert and Tevin Coleman, who we believe is going to be healthy for the Super Bowl and ready to go. I believe so. Yeah. So, it, it, but once again, you focus on that one run game, you leave open the pass game, which they can beat you exactly. on. Exactly. Which I'm he- saying, this will be Garoppolo's opportunity because exactly. I, I don't think the 49ers will be able to get away with only throwing eight passes in this game. Yeah. This is one of the. I think this is one of the. Defenses that they're going to have a pretty nice time playing against. They're not. It's not. Granted, it's probably not going to be what we saw against the Packers. Yeah. Where they don't pass the ball and run the ball a ton. But I think it's going to be a well balanced game that Shanahan's going to run up. He's going to learn from his past mistakes that we were talking about earlier. And I, we can get into predictions later. But I think you can kind of tell where I'm going with yeah, this. Yeah, yeah. Uh, we know, we know the Super Bowl is a big time for. Uh, all the gamblers out there, and, and not only are there the traditional bets like the spread and the over/under, a lot of people like to make some really weird prop bets uh, for this game. And uh, I know it's a storyline that'll be overused on Radio Row throughout the week, so we thought we might as well talk about some of the weird prop bets yeah. we've looked up online uh, and and, and uh, just talk about them for a little bit. So. Gary, you, you found one about a, a jersey number? Okay, so last year I found this <laughs> prop bet about jersey numbers where it was going to be which jersey score, which jersey number scores first. It, had, it could have been a field goal, touchdown, safety, whatever it may be, but it just had to be a score. And it was right. either an even number player or an odd number player. I've tried to find the same thing this year. I can't find it on any of the sites like I did last year. But I did find one where it's the over-under on the first jersey number, or on the jersey number to score the first touchdown. And it's at 26 and a half. So, so you're, you're looking for the players so with 26 and in, to one. One to 26. Yes. So, yeah, either or one to 26 99. or 27 up. Okay. So, which Tom, one of those Tom, players Coleman is going to score the first touchdown? <laughs> that is an interesting one. It is weird to see what people. This one, you have to go through and look at the lineups, kind of analyze which are the guys that are going to put up all the numbers. Like, I did this for the. I went to look in because that, the even odd number one kind of picked my attention last year. So, I went in and looked through both and see. Which team had the one, the even number of players who scored a lot, and vice versa? So, and, and, I, and there's another interesting one here about a, a, a Gatorade bath. Is oh, the Gatorade! Come on, don't act like you don't know about the Gatorade bath when you <laughs> say that kind of inquisitively. Uh, but this, the Gatorade bath's a classic bet, where it's whatever the winning team dumps the Gatorade on the coach. What color will it be? No one really knows until it obviously happens at the end. So right now, I think red is the favorite at plus one twenty-five. Lime green slash yellow at plus two fifty. Clear or water at fifth at plus five hundred, and then orange, purple, or orange, blue, and purple coming in to round out the group. Alex, has it ever been water? Uh, the Pats had clear, so technically would be water a few years ago. The Pats would be the one that have clear. Yeah. Yes, right. but Tom Brady doesn't drink that much water. Don't people yeah, forget I that? I feel like it'd be like Alka Seltzer for Bill Belichick or something yeah. like that. <laughs> but, uh, I know there's there's also a prop bet about uh, who's going to win the Super Bowl MVP. You know, let's let's talk a little bit about who we think some of the favorites are for the Super Bowl MVP. Not well, even in terms of, of, of betting. But I just, mean, generally, you're going to look to the quarterback every single time because yeah. I think not or what it's there's some statistics that says the quarterback will win it nine times out of ten. Defensive players are going to be tough to get, but this might be the year if the Niners pull it out where a defensive guy gets it again, like Von Miller. Like I, I put down on the sheet, two out of the last ten Super Bowls have had a defensive uh, super, you, uh, defensive you would MVP. Need, like, I'm guessing more than two and a half sacks. You would probably need a def- fumble, a turnover, a turnover some or sort. a defensive Definitely. touchdown. Um, yeah, a lot of interesting prop bets out there for, for all of the uh, – all of the gamblers, but let's before we wrap up the show, let's go ahead and do predictions. Uh, Lex, start us off. Prediction um, for Super Bowl Fifty Four, Chiefs Forty Nine. I think I'm going for Kansas City, but I just know they're not going to be able to pull this one out. I, I'm going to go San Francisco twenty seven to twenty. Alex, I'm going to go thirty five fourteen Chiefs. Wow. Okay. Gary, it's a big. I'm one. I'm going to end my football season on another score that. You guys have become accustomed to at this point. Uh, oh, 3229. I don't you know. There we go. Get their, is there a safety in there? No. Might just, be. I'll, maybe, do, the, I'll maybe, do the math maybe. later. I'll figure it out. Okay. I'll tweet it out. 
All right, uh, yeah, I think uh, this is going to be a close one. I think if the 49ers can keep the Chiefs under 30 points, they have a chance. But uh, I'm going to go Kansas City 30, San Francisco 24. And, also, uh, I'm sorry, I don't think I actually said who would win. It's 32-29 Niners. Okay, yeah, San yeah, Francisco yeah. 49ers are going to win. I got My the Chiefs bad. winning 30-24. That. Uh, that's all we've got tonight. If you missed a second of the show, you can listen back to it as a podcast wherever you get your podcast. Just search Tomahawk Talk. As we wrap things up, though, uh, remember to not take this life for granted. Uh, hug your loved ones. Tell them how much they mean to you. I'm glad we can bring you an hour of sports talk every week because it's as therapeutic for us as it may be for you to listen and escape reality for a little bit. Uh, thank you tonight for, uh, to Tyler Phillips for tonight's seminal segment, Austin Reynolds, who was, uh, was on Twitter, our producer, Sebastian Angeliano, and our guests, uh, Chris Camacho and Blake Devine. For Lex Tucker, Alex Krutchik, Gary Putnick, I'm Brett Rutherford, and this was Tomahawk Talk on WVFS Tallahassee, the voice of Florida State. New release is up next.